Last Sunday, we took a break from our series on these key words that matter with you, Sunday, and they did a great job, didn't they? It was wonderful. Very proud of them. Yes, you can applaud. Two previous weeks, we focused on two Old Testament words, hesed, which means steadfast or God's covenant love. Then the next week, we focused on ruach, which is the word for breath, wind, or spirit. Next Sunday, we're going to finish the series talking about sozo. It's a word for salvation that also can be translated as to be healed. And uh, Pastor Dick will share his take on that at 8.30 and Pastor Aaron will at 11. At 9.30 next Sunday, the choir will lead us in a service of music. So we'll look forward to that as well. Today, we're talking about hamartia, Greek word for sin. It's the word that's used 221 times in the New Testament use far more than the other six words that are used for sin. And I believe there's a reason for that. Now, I'm not somebody that tends to like to talk about sin. You won't hear me call you a sinner very often. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm in need of God's grace. And if I ever forget that fact, my wife Nancy, I'm sure, will remind me of that. So I believe very much in the importance of dealing with it but sometimes I worry there's too much baggage with it. There's, there's preachers and churches that throw so much into it, and sometimes their understanding is too simplistic for me at least. I remember when I was younger, I'd often see this diagram in some of the Bible studies I go to. It shows two cliffs, God on one side, humanity on the other, and then there's that gulf of sin that divides us. And the message is that, that God cannot look at sin, God cannot see sin, and therefore the only way for us to bridge that gap is for the cross to come that pulls us together, and through Christ's blood sacrifice, we are made one with God. Now, there's a lot of truth in that, but I don't think there's the full truth in that. We need to add to it. We need to deepen our understanding of sin, because I've never understood why can't God look at sin? God created us in his image. God created a world that's full of evil and the opportunity for sin, so why can't God deal with that? I think he's a bigger God than that. And I also feel that that simplistic understanding of the cross does not take into account the full mystery of it and all that happens with Christ's life as well as his death and the resurrection put together. So I think we need a deeper understanding of sin, and understanding hamartia, I believe, provides the best opportunity to do that. So first fact I want to bring into your attention. Of the 221 times hamartia is used in the New Testament, 55 of those are used by the Apostle Paul in his epistles, and he uses hamartia, which is the noun form of sin, hamartia, and only 14 times does he use hamartanao, which is that, that verb, the action of sinning. That should tell us something. That tells us that to the Apostle Paul, he sees the condition of sin, the far greater problem than the actual behavior of sins. So that condition is kind of like a cancer. There's something wrong. And too often we get focused so much on the symptoms, and Paul's point was that his fellow Jews focused too much on the law, that they missed the greater point that we need to deal with the condition of the heart first to change the reality of the sins that happen in our lives. Now, if you look at the etymology of hamartia, it's a very interesting thing that comes to mind. Hamartia originally was a, a military term. It was often used for archery, and it was used 
to describe missing the mark. When you didn't get a bullseye, you missed the mark. It was used for spear throwing. If you didn't throw the right spot, you missed the mark. And then that understanding evolved somewhat. It became to be applied to morals and ethics. And so it came to be understood that when you have gotten off on the wrong path or you have not lived up to one's purpose, it would still be used sometimes even in the New Testament to apply to individual behaviors, individual sins. But for the most part, it's a bigger issue. It's missing the mark. And I don't know how you hear that, but for me, it makes sin a little bit more easier to handle. When I know that it's not so much that I'm this terrible, horrible person, I need to wallow in my sins, when I see that it means just getting sometimes a little bit off. And it helps me to, to appreciate that, that what God wants us to focus on is he's got this dream for us. He's got this purpose for us to live out. And when we see that and understand that, then we can take an honest look at who we are. We can see our sin for what it is. We can confess it more easily, and we be more honest with God as we face all that. Because the reality is, we look at Simon in this story that Pastor Aaron just read and realize that, that sometimes we're a lot like him. His sins were not so blatant. They were not so obvious as that woman who's at Jesus' feet, but they're still just as real. There's a quote by Barbara Brown Taylor in which she describes the importance for us to understand and deal with the reality of sin. She says, abandoning the language of sin will simply leave us speechless before our sins. Increase our denial of their presence in our lives. Ironically, it also weakens the language of grace since the full impact of forgiveness cannot be felt apart from the full impact of what has been forgiven. In other words, if you don't face the sin in your life, you don't appreciate fully the grace that God has made available to us. You look at the story. I think a great spiritual exercise is to ask yourself, who do you see yourself more like? Are you more like Simon the Pharisee? Or are you that woman who falls at Jesus' feet? And if you're honest with yourself, I mean, aren't we more like Simon? I mean, don't we all want to be that person that can throw that dinner party that a respected rabbi like Jesus would show up to? Don't we want to be that person that when you throw the party, people will actually come? And even though you may not want to be that person that looks down on another, wouldn't you like to feel that your moral standing among the community is strong enough that people would think you have the right to do so? And how many of us want to be that woman at Jesus' feet? Her reputation precedes herself. Simon speaks up as if everybody knows who she is. It seems everybody does but Jesus in this room. And then she throws aside all propriety. She lets her hair down, which a woman, woman did not do in Jewish society, and she's touching a man, even a respected rabbi, which certainly is not to be done. And in addition to that, she is on her knees crying, sobbing, obviously all the things that are wrong in her life. Do you want to be that person? But Jesus is the one who says to Simon, look at this woman. He's calling for him to see more than just a sinner, and he's calling for him to see that she is closer to the kingdom of God than you are. So we need a deeper understanding of sin and realize that we are all sinners and that whether we like it or not, we might be closer to that woman on, 
deeper knees at Jesus' feet than we realize. Now, before I close with a, with a great story, let me pause and say a word for mothers today. Because I imagine if you're here to celebrate Mother's Day, you may not have come to get the definition of a Greek word called hamartia. And certainly didn't want to get talking about sin. But maybe there's a lesson here for you too. Because as I listen to women, especially working mothers who are raising children right now, I hear a common complaint. And that is how difficult it is to balance all that life puts before you. It's so hard to raise children, give them everything that you need. At the same time, be in this two-income society that we live in and try to bring home enough money and to pursue that career that you want to have because it's a part of who you are and part of your identity. And my daughter here this weekend, and I hear that from her frequently. She's successful in a lot of ways, but she often says, Dad, I just can't always do it all. Sometimes we all feel we miss the mark. So I hope that you're here today, if you ever have that feeling, is that you're kind to yourself. And know there are no perfect mothers out there. And I hope that you find your voice. I hope that you work to bring those shared responsibilities to everybody in the household so you don't have to do it all. That you stand up for your needs. And when you fall short, which you will, because we all do, there are no perfect mothers Fall at the feet of Jesus and experience the grace that he has for you as he does for all of us. Let me close with this story told by Tony, Tony Campolo. He is one of my favorite Christian speakers. He's also got a great hairline as well as me. But he tells this great story from his life. He was on a speaking tour and he happened to be in Honolulu. And of course he hadn't quite adjusted to the time difference, and so here he is at 3.30 in the morning, and he can't sleep, so he goes out of the, his hotel, and he, he finds down the street a little greasy spoon, and, and believe me, I mean literally a greasy spoon. He decides the only thing safe to eat in there to order is some coffee and a donut, and so he's eating his donut when in walks the door eight or nine prostitutes, women of the night. It's a small diner, so he ends up quickly surrounded by those, and he kind of decides that he's going to find a quiet way just to slip out, feeling just a little uncomfortable. When all of a sudden the woman that's sitting right next to him at the bar says, you know, tomorrow's my birthday. So he stops to listen. And one of the other women say, well, what do you want? You want us to throw a birthday party? You want me to go out and buy you a cake? The woman next to Tony says, why do you have to be so mean? I didn't ask for anything. Why, I've never had a birthday party or a birthday cake in my life. Why should that, should that start now? And at that moment, Tony made a decision. So he waited a while until they all left. Then he looked across the counter and talked to the man named Harry. He said, hey, you want to do something with me? How about tomorrow night we throw a birthday party? She comes in here every night, right? Yes, oh yeah, she's here all the time. What do you think about that? And Harry says, well, I think that's a great idea. He yells in the back room, calls his wife out, says, hey, this guy wants to throw a party for Agnes. And she says, well, that's a great idea. Tony says, I'll go buy all the decorations. I'll be here at 2.30 tomorrow. We'll decorate everything, and I'll even bring a cake. And Harry says, no, I'll do the cake. That's my job. So they agreed. Next night. Tony's in there at 2.30 decorating that little cafe from one side to the other with crepe paper, 
balloons, and Harry's got the cake ready. Got the candles in it, and Harry's wife had gotten the word out. That diner was full of women of the evening. In comes Agnes and her friend. Steps in the door, and everybody goes, Happy birthday! And they begin to sing, Happy birthday! And she kind of buckles. And as they're singing, tears come to her eyes. And they, they bring her over to the stool, to the counter where the birthday cake is. And Harry says, well, blow out the candles, Agnes. We want to cut the cake. We want a piece of cake. And Agnes looks at it. She blows out the candles. And then she stops. She's got the knife in her hand. She says, do I have to cut it now? Can I, can I keep it just a little while? And Harry says, sure, Agnes, it's your cake. And she looks over at Tony and kind of figures out he had something to do with this. She goes, do you mind if I take this home? I just live right down the street. I promise I'll come back. And Tony says, sure. So she takes the cake. She walks out the door of the diner. And there's stunned silence. And Tony Campola does what any good preacher does. He says, let's pray. <clears throat> let's pray. And everybody did. They bowed their heads. And he prayed a prayer for Agnes, for her well-being, for her salvation, that good things might come along. He finished the prayer. And Harry looks up at him with just a little hostility in his voice and says, Hey, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. Just what kind of church are you from? And Tony says, quickly, with a bit of inspiration, Well, I'm from a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> and Harry says, oh, no, you're not, because if there was a church like that, I would go to it. I hope that you want to be a part of a church like that. Because as I look at the story of the woman who falls at Jesus' feet and he says that she is forgiven, I think that's the kind of church Jesus wants us to have. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful story. The woman who falls at Jesus' feet, help us to know that we are all sinners. We all have missed the mark, but because of your grace, we are brought so much closer. May we feel that grace today through Jesus, who is our Lord. Amen.